Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rabbit Hole Stories. It's another exciting episode. Uh, it's been a good one, right, Ian? No, it was really, really interesting. Um, there was a lot discussed during this episode, and a lot of it I need to actually go away and think about and reflect on and still doing that now after listening to it. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was a fascinating episode. Um, what, what, what sort of things captured your uh, attention? What perked your ears up during this episode, Joel? I mean, a lot of the stuff Theo said was um, very... Uh, I would say almost normal or close to what I do during my day. So there wasn't everything new where I was like, wow, this is like, you know, brain explosion moments. But um, what was really cool was uh, he had one point during the episode where he went, um, we've basically been in a recession, you want to call it, the past 14, 15 years. I was like, okay, hang on, that's a good point. Let's listen to what he has to say. Um, that was a, that was a very good part. I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> but that was a cool part yeah when he said that i was like yeah it's true you know because we talk about being potentially in a recession now or one's looming and, and all that kind of stuff but actually if you zoom out we've been in recession for quite a long time already um so that's that's really something um that was important to for me to hear to really put into contact context and thinking about it a little bit it kind of reminds me when when I was in the police because even when I was in the police a long time ago now, all I ever did was try to cut back, cut back, cut back. The budget's been uh, reduced and reduced and reduced and expecting more out of you, putting more pressure on everyone out there. Um, and that's not just the police, all public services as well. And they're, they're the ones that are suffering the most first, I think. Um, and you see it a lot in the media. Um at the moment, particularly around the Met Police, they're, they're not very popular at the moment in the media, are they? Oh, I don't read. I don't read too much doom and gloom. <laughs> like at the moment, you've got a scandal going on with a Met Police officer that has just—it's um, been revealed that he's committed something like twenty-nine rapes during his career as a Met Police officer, and now all other, all other woodwork is coming out now about other police officers involved in other sort of scandals and things like that. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a loose link to the whole recession thing because all these cutbacks, um, all the fail-saves that used to be in place to police the police, if you like, or to sort of... Um, train up and recruit the right person for for the role is kind of falling by the wayside because when i was in the met i remember the training was trained uh, was reduced it by a number of weeks they were churning people out more for less um the, the already i could start to see that the product that was coming out of training school was of a less standard than when i started doing training school so really a lot of the budget restraints, the police have had to make a lot of cutbacks in lots of different areas where there would have been uh, procedures in place for them to have maybe weeded out those people that um, shouldn't be in the police in the first place, which has kind of led to this moment now, I think, in a way where um, police officers that should have been regularly reviewed and um you know, the radar, 
um, should have picked them up with the previous uh, fail safes that might have been in place for them. And, you know, you start to cut back uh, the money for these services um, and the impact that that has not only on the police themselves, but the community in which they're serving. So him saying that, you know, we've been in recession for some time kind of makes true, it makes rings truth to me in a way, because, you know, being coming from the public service, the services that do get hit first and most and all these strikes that are going on at the moment just haven't happened overnight. You know, it's been a long journey for us to get there. People will now be like, no, you've been taking the piss for a long time now. Now you're really taking the piss. So it's getting worse and worse and worse until people now, civil unrest is kind of the next step if this was to, to continue, is my, is my feeling. And that's what I kind of took away from what he was saying. With the strikes, I might have a different opinion. Obviously, um, the public sector needs to be strengthened in some form and fashion, but there's always a way how you go about these things, right? But that, that's, I think that's a different topic for like our tea party <laughs> in a week. Yeah, no, it will be. But um, it's just got the cogs thinking, really. It's just got me kind of sort of thinking about how um, money affects everyone else. Um, and the lack of money and the impact that it has. Fix the money, fix the world, right? It's not just a saying. It really has it has a lot of truth to it. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Generally speaking, I think the episode was a good... It's a thinker episode for sure, but Theo really... Theo mm. and Angelo, for that matter, they're both brothers, last week's guests. They really had a gift of articulating and bringing these things forward in a very simple fashion. Yeah. So um, definitely an exciting one to listen to. But I think we shouldn't hold people too back too long. No, 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 no. Yeah, I want you guys to enjoy this episode. So with that in mind, um, have fun listening to Theo and his rabbit hole story. And definitely a lot of things to think about for the next, I'd say, 60 minutes. Yeah, enjoy, guys. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to another week's episode of Rabbit Hole Stories. My name is Ian, and who have we got here today? We've got our usual guest, uh, uh, co-host, sorry, and that is Joel. Hello, Joel. You all right, mate? I'm doing good, Ian. How are you? Yeah, I'm living the dream, as they say. It's been a mad 24 hours, but you know, it's not about me today. But yeah, it's been it's been an eventful day today. You got some some nice hats and or hat or you got a nice hat a nice t-shirt on. Yeah, I'm all merched up. I've I've probably got got ahead of myself a little bit and uh, got overexcited. But do you know what the rabbit hole stories um, logo, which I drew, wasn't it, Joel? Kind of last minute. It took me about half hour to draw this and produce this, and I've sent Joel a, a, a copy of the the picture, and he's like, "Yep, let's do it. Let's go for that one." So I've gone ahead and got the t-shirt printed i've got the baseball cap as well so yeah i'm all i'm all um i'm representing rabbit hole stories today um who else we got here today we've got theo hello theo hello hello thanks for having me yeah all good all good appreciate it being on mate could you spend a couple of minutes just introducing yourself and telling us who you are yeah for sure my name is theo uh been in the bitcoin space for probably seven years now i'm still reasonably fresh face so that means i started at 16 17 when i was in school really i uh i started out with massive interest in economics and i quickly realized that school especially where i grew up in wales was not as keen on teaching about money as i was keen to learn about it uh in the whole of wales when i said that i wanted to study economics a level said there are two colleges in the whole of wales that will teach you economics a level and I was like, 
screw that. I'm going to teach it to myself. So I dropped out of, I partly dropped out. So I studied economics and psychology myself. And during those like self autodidactic periods, I was very much interested in Bitcoin and how that fed into things because I guess part of me has a more of a rebellious um, questioning nature of, you know, systemic hegemony and, and things like that. So I was quite keen to delve into that world and and uh, see see where that took me. And I guess seven years later, I'm still here. So it was a good decision. Brilliant. And um, so you grew up in, in, in Wales. Yeah. Whereabouts in Wales were you? Where, where, whereabouts? This is where I completely dox myself and uh, give my exact location. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I grew up in a beautiful seaside town called uh, uh, Sondersfoot, but most people know the adjacent town called Tenby. And it's a little fisher village and not much goes on. It's certainly picturesque and great to come and retire, but not necessarily the best place to um, begin a burgeoning career in tech finance and Bitcoin. <laughs> Tenby, that's like, um, isn't there a ferry that you can get from there? Mate, I think no one no one knows to fuck where it is. <laughs> Let's be no, honest. no, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Now, hold on. Ten, is that ten the place that kind of an ice cream stand next to that hot dog guy <laughs> called Jeff, and he'll give you two for one on a Tuesday. Yeah, yes, Ian, that's exactly where I'm from. How did you know, <laughs> <laughs> mate? I, I don't know. It's the crystal ball. But isn't is Tempe's not far from Swansea, right? Am I right there? But yeah, an, an hour, which in Wales terms is okay distance. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. That was have to do then. Okay, <laughs> cool. uh, I'm, fasc- I'm fascinated. I know the only reason I asked because I wanted to ask uh, your brother Angelo that last time uh, a little bit about because uh, we got a little bit um, about his childhood, but I wanted to sort of really understood understand what uh, Wales was like in in your kind of childhood. What was going on in Wales um, at that time of your youth? What were the kind of um, activities that you were getting up to in Wales in in your younger years? The general culture, the academic culture, the social culture at the ages, as far back as I could really remember. But if we just take the secondary school period, which is around 13 to 18, it, it was largely filled with a we could call it a philosophy but a uh, a complete disinterest in learning and studying if, if you were smart it was really frowned upon by your peers success was not credited at all you really wanted to play down any form of achievement it, it was just not something where you felt nurtured in, in that kind of environment and I don't know whether that was just like the specific school I went to um it's funny, like I I went to, uh, I won't say the name of it, but um, so the school I went to, we all thought the other schools were, were crap and like our school was the good one. Like we were the gem in, in, in Wales. And then as soon as I kind of left and started talking to people from other schools, it's like, no, no, we all thought your school was the bad one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what we got up to was just kind of like, like just hanging out like there's a lot of people I think from families that weren't as supportive or as like I was very fortunate to have a a really great kind of uh, mother and father figure role in my life so 
I was much happier staying at home, whereas I would say a lot of my peers were, were going out and smoking weed at really young ages, getting really drunk at really young ages, skateboarding, getting up to all the kind of mischief at, you know, 13, 14, which, yeah, is uh, for people that mature at different ages, it's, it's, it's kind of strange, but yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I grew up um, and still live in, in London, and I'm, I'm always interested to hear um, other people um, growing up in other parts of this country and, and how different the experiences throughout the, the different parts of the country, um, you know, like urban city life in London, my childhood was, I think maybe somewhat different to yours, uh, being coming from a, a small little town, uh, Tenby in, in Wales. Um, so yeah, no, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. I, I, I think cause the weather wasn't, the, the weather wasn't great often. Like Wales is known for raining a hell of a lot. So it wasn't like whilst you could see the sea from my high school, secondary school, uh, it certainly wasn't like we didn't go down to go see it very often. It was very cold and, and raining. So it's it certainly wasn't Hawaii-esque. <laughs> Mate, it rains a lot in Hawaii as well. So It does. Rain. Yeah, yeah, it does. Apparently. Um, but how, how did Bitcoin find you in Tenby? Bitcoin found me in Tenby because... Uh, similar obviously similar story to Angelo I think my dad was a, a strong influence on understand on coming to me and wanting to um, bring up the conversation of money what is money like economics finance I think he was aware of a systemic structure of the way that money is used and created and the manipulation of it and how it wasn't necessarily of interest to his kids when they come up into the world it wasn't the system wasn't necessarily designed to help his kids thrive so I think that played a role into his his you know general interest around money and stuff so Ethereum came up and he's yeah not the most techie and was like hey do you guys want to have a look at this and then we ended up buying Ethereum at like stupid low prices thinking it was like the all-time high at ten dollars and like buying some at eight dollars and going, oh, this is a terrible idea. I'm then putting my entire life savings into it, which at like 16, 17 was not a lot of money, but still at the time felt ridiculous. And um, it was a lot of money for you at the time, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, I had a, a a dad that was was very supportive of of that, and uh, and was understood the role that risk taking has and educated risk-taking has and um and understanding the difference or understanding that inaction is also a choice so if you choose not to do something that is still a choice you're you're choosing the negative you're you're, you're choosing the antithesis um, you're choosing the status quo and that can be the silent killer and i think my dad was was happy to for for us as his as his kids, obviously who cared who he cared about, to take that role of um, potentially taking one foot outside the the structure of what society kind of puts for you as get this go here get this job get your education and have one foot outside just to see what other options that there are and um, I think as long as it doesn't wipe you out it can at least help you learn. There's a there's a quote it's like. <laughs> the more you fuck around the more you find out so he was certainly happy for us to fuck around a little yeah i mean um make it like with making mistakes you the idea is to learn 
from those mistakes, right? Um, and um, once once you you came across and discovered uh, Ethereum, I imagine that was realized as a, a mistake. Am I being presumptuous in in assuming that, or is that something you're still involved with? So now I'm very much a Bitcoin maximalist. Whether my involvement in Ethereum you could characterize as a mistake, uh, I don't know. I guess it's it's what lens you want to put on it. It it helped a lot. It it rapidly increased the rate at which I learned about technology and blockchain. And it also gave contrast to what Bitcoin was. And back in 2017, it wasn't obvious that, I mean, 2016, yeah, it wasn't like as obvious as it is now that it was an inferior technology or the problems surrounding it and the way it's now gone with proof of stake and OFAC compliance and, and everything that's going on now. That that wasn't like, back then it was, oh, Bitcoin's splitting. There's a block size war. Like Bitcoin was actually more contentious than Ethereum. Um, so not a mistake. It it, it served its role in, in my life and I've thanked it and, and moved on. At the end of the day, um, this is always what I'm trying to tell a lot of people. It's two different systems. Let's call it this way. Uh, either you decide to get on board of a peer-to-peer -peer system, a truly peer-to-peer -peer system with different characteristics, security measurements, um, that, be, that being the Bitcoin, obviously, for everyone listening, um, where you can build on top of a very uh, based fundamental structure, whether that be with Lightning, with all the different things that work there, or you want to go into a network that has, I'd say, different characteristics as well, but... Uh, the base layer is very much changing on a on a by yearly basis, it seems. So uh, it's it's up to everyone who decides. But uh, yeah, they're definitely now it's more clear what the differences are. But I remember also back in the days for you, I got a lot of friends going on board because back then I was still living in Switzerland. Uh, I was actually living very very close to where the Ethereum Foundation I think was founded, or at least a lot of them lived there. So I saw like Vitalik a couple of times at the train station and knowing that this weird kid is probably going to build something similar to like Bitcoin back in the days. Um, and I remember a lot of people getting on board and eventually either landing at Bitcoin or realizing the difference between the two ecosystems um, without a judge. I hope this is, this is like Angelo last time, your brother said a very nice thing, like uh, we don't need to judge people where they started or where they're currently in their journey. Um, if they end in Bitcoin, if they're deciding to split up and do different routes, um, good for them for them as well but um yeah we like we like the orange coin so we tend to land there yeah and i realized my question was a little bit unfair the way i uh, approached you with that um but thank you for being open and earnest about it um because i think most people uh, well most people i've spoken to about their journey into bitcoin it does involve them getting into ethereum and other alt uh, or slash shit coins whatever they want to call it you know people's route into bitcoin does involve um the the whole crypto world as well um and we had a whole conversation with your brother last time about uh bitcoin maximalists i think that he says something along the lines of they can go and suck a dick or something <laughs> um and and he gave a whole um eloquent uh, explanation as to why that is um like if you know the escape route um you know you should be showing people the way out and that is bitcoin but just because these other people might sort of see bitcoin in in their own way doesn't 
um, lean them towards. Well, you shouldn't then start judging people because they might still be holding on to other other assets. Um, you know, once they understand Bitcoin, they understand Bitcoin. Just because they get it doesn't necessarily mean that they're an asshole because they might hold some Solana or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I I think from from going into the space, even like originally, it was very. Um, God, I'm trying to find a better way to say it. it, it, it it's um. Just say it. <laughs> I'm trying to find a non non profanity. It's um, it it's it's a intellectual. Uh, Mate, you can you can swear you can swear on the podcast. I, I don't even know what the saying is. Intellectual, you know, dick sizing, piss. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it, it was it was very ego driven, and it, it was from a culture of of like Craig Wright and um, kind of the two camps, and it, it, there was a lot of like intellectual superiority and posturing, and not often the healthiest place to come from. And it's like really interesting, like you see the people that are really really building, like like the Adam Backs, and I. I struggle to find an interview of him being a Bitcoin maximalist in the sense that a lot of these other people are. And these are people on the front lines. Like they're, they're actually navigating, they're, they're pitching the the ship and changing directions for the entire ecosystem, let alone humanity. And you can very rarely see him in any way posturing his intellectual stance. He's very, humble very quiet and i think that kind of got me as a as a young man coming into kind of the or i'd say a teenager coming into the adult world for the first time and trying to feel like i had to um show up in a certain frame or a certain persona and that certainly did like i i was a product of the environment which was which was trying to puff up my chest and pretend that I was some you know exceptional this that and the other with my like superiority that I knew x y and z like the the fact that bitcoin was better in all these ways like I remember going to conferences in London in 2017 and like there was lots of people that were naive to bitcoin and naive to the space and clearly were trying to get money and part of me doesn't blame them (laughs) you know uh, like it's not easy working a, a, a standard corporate job that doesn't pay you anywhere near the living wage and you're kind of on ends meet. Of course, you're going to try find another way. But I remember going around saying, yeah, but why can't your project use an M of N SQL database? Like, why do you need a distributed blockchain? Like, that's a very ineffective way to store and, and transmit data. You don't need to combine networking and databasing here. Like, you can just have a permission database and it'll work much better. And they'll be like, oh, I don't, uh," and then always brushing me off. And looking back, it was like, there was no need for me to come at it in that sense. But that was, that was the culture. It was, it was debates. It was antagonizing. It was, it was one-upmanship. And I think if we're being brutally honest, there, there's certainly two, two frames. Um, the, the, The Greeks had two words for it. It was, Philosophia and Philonakia. Philosophia stood for the love of knowledge or the love of enlightenment, loosely translated. It was 
it was the love of coming to kind of a, a common turn and both improving your stance and then feeling Ikea was the love of victory essentially and it was that that coming from more of a place of ego and I wish I, I had the wisdom to and even today like I, I can slip into it and I have to bring myself down it's like what's what's really the purpose here uh, are we seeking are we hunting down truth are we hunting down knowledge or am I hunting down a victory for what for, for my ego for, for for you know for superficial reasons so that I can seem be seen as the, the greater person in this conversation or or in this meeting like it's it's so it's so short term so I always try and kind of remember that and remember why we're all here which is bitcoin is truth and that's what we're here to do yeah and I mean at the end of the day you know I put a tweet out a couple of days ago um, when the recording will air, probably a week ago, where I said something along the lines of, it doesn't help if we call everything a scam and not educating about people why it possibly might be a scam or what the characteristics of a scam are. Because um, that's what I discovered in late 2017 as well, I think. Um, there used to be a scam called OneCoin. Uh, I was never invested into it because looking at it for like five minutes, I realized, hang on a minute, this is either a, a multi-level marketing well, it's the biggest fraud there is because there was nowhere like you, you couldn't find a block explorer. You couldn't find like a token address and all of these things to like essentially check if that token is legit. Um, and I remember speaking to a lot of my fellow Bitcoiner friends and to like my normal people friends. Like they discovered one coin because like you said, Theo, they were able to make a quick buck. Um, you know, they promised like put a grand in buy this in this package and you'll make like half a mil. I was like, wow, <laughs> if it would be that easy, like every fucking Wall Street bank would be in this project, right? Um, and I remember every one of my Bitcoin friends was like, yeah, it's a scam, ignore it. I was like, yeah, it's obviously a scam, but like we need to teach normal people why it's a scam, what could be possibly the reasons for it to be a scam. Later on, it, it's, it uncovered itself to be a huge scam. I think the, the top whatever... Uh, CEO or whatever she was, she's still on the hunt or on the FBI's most wanted list. So clearly it had the characteristics of a big time fraud. Um, but Bitcoiners, we do so bad in educating people about these things. And also if I see it like the discussions on Twitter, like two, three days ago, someone put out like ETH now has whatever yield on its product. I'm like, okay, first of all, it said how it's generating the yield. So we need to dig deeper and find out how it really works. Um, but again, we did the typical Bitcoin laser eye maxi thing of calling it a scam and moving on and not educating normal people in the replies, like telling them, hey, these are the differences. Um, again, back to my previous statement, these are two different systems. If you want to be in one system, very replicant of the current financial systems, you can go into Ethereum. I know a lot of fintechs because I work with them together. They're building on top of that system. They like that. Um, and then there are other companies saying like, okay, we want to do something different and we want to go down the Bitcoin hole, uh, which essentially down to its most nature form is a peer-to-peer -peer payment system. Um, and I think we, we need to do better as Bitcoiners there to educate people. Um, but yeah, long ways to go. Let's call it that. Where we need to, where we need to improve. So looking back now, Theo, you got in with Ethereum. What made you stick with Bitcoin in the end then? Was it really personas like Adam Beck, say, seeing how humble they were, what they were building? Or was it something else? It, it was certainly a gradual process. Um, I think it, okay, so, I mean, the the rough pitch is that, is that the, the, the only reason 
to have a blockchain is to achieve something like having a blockchain is pointless unless you're doing something with it so what do you want to achieve you want to achieve censorship resistance but you de- but first of all to get that you need decentralization so censorship resistant is the goal we want money that is censorship resistant so that it is completely openly democratic that nobody has command and control over nobody can set the state and chain of the ledger beyond the democracy the rule of law set by all the nodes on the network so to get that we have decentralization and then from decentralization it's like right a blockchain is the best technology to achieve that okay so ethereum has the blockchain and then it was questionable whether it had the decentralization even at the time less so now now it's gone to proof of stake and that lack of decentralization meant that it wasn't censorship resistant so then why do you need the blockchain and it became quite a just a linear thought process of a technology is only a tool to serve a function to help achieve an end goal why would i use a tool if it's not fit for purpose so blockchain was a tool to achieve censorship resistant to achieve an open permissionless monetary source and an open network that anyone can use and to bank the unbanked across the globe and ethereum was was not doing that it's like oh yes you can you can spin up your nft or or your project but like what's the point like if it can be shut down then you can use other technologies so you don't need a token essentially um what, what's really scary there is also like how much influence and, and i talked to a lot of friends who are um i wouldn't call them ethereum maxis but they're very convinced of the ecosystem and Again, unfortunately, that war we're fighting in between, where it's like um, no, no one is actually open to listen to any other criticism or whatever. And I always tell them, like, hey, isn't it dangerous that, like, um, uh, Hetzner, for example, is a big hosting provider in, like, Germany, Austria and such. And they announced before the merge that they're going to basically shut down any account that's running a Ethereum node on their servers. Um And the same could be said if like AWS does the same thing. So whenever I talk to people saying like, you know, you can argue the decentralization of it because I can have a, I could be a validator, like let's say that network, but just because I am one of them doesn't mean that the whole thing is decentralized if they are legit centralized institutions that can shut it down. Um, So yeah, that's that's probably one of the, the first steps, I guess, for many to like start questioning, okay, it says decentralized like the marketing copy, but what is decentralization really? Would that also be like the first clue that got you lured into or close to the Bitcoin rabbit hole? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'd would say that was that was one of the first things. Um, the easier things to understand are obviously the hard money, the the, the fact that it's, it's only ever twenty one million. The fact that that's debatable. That's debatable according to Jamie Dimon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's... <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, Who knows? You know, Satoshi's picture might come up and laugh at you. Yeah, yeah, it might be, it might be an NFT, mate. Yeah, it's just a pet rock, you know. After all, yeah, it's funny. Like it's like just that conversation alone around having an inelastic monetary base. Like even now, in the last six months, I've started to have questions around why why did we have elastic money? in the first place and having some form of 
elasticity. Like the reason the central bank, like the Federal Reserve got created was because seasonally money flows in the US would would seep inwards. It, it, would, it would head into the, the Midlands where, where a lot of the agriculture was produced. And and it would literally be sucked out of the, the coastal cities, which would leave the lack of money. So the the ideally in a perfect world, money should be completely translucent. So when an eye works properly, you shouldn't be able to see it. When it's not working properly, you can see the eye through the vision. So when money doesn't work properly as it should, it becomes noticeable. And I have to think about it. I shouldn't have to think about money. Money should be as saleable as liquid as instantly possible as it it possibly can and i shouldn't be thinking that my pound has now devalued against the dollar and should i keep my money in dollars or is my money going to lose 10 percent of its value this year i'm now having to treat my pounds as an investment so the the inaction choice which is keeping my money in in pounds or dollars is now becoming a very prevalent action choice and that action choice is forcing me to now prefer other action choices, such as seeking riskier and riskier investments to seek any form of, of capital preservation, not even growth, just to hold my purchasing power. I now have to move capital in ways that I don't want to. So money is losing its, its functionality. That was one of the reasons central banks stepped in, because as all this money got sucked out of the coastal regions, there was massive deflation because there was suddenly a like money supply dropped in half. So all goods and services in, in dollar terms got pushed up and it was like, shit, it's really handy to be able to meet when money works properly. Money should be able to facilitate good productive investments when they're needed. A, a role of a commercial bank traditionally is to be a mediator or a broker between a monetary source, uh, a monetary be a monetary funding source for good mum and pop shops or for accurate investing. It's the productive capital. It's easy access. Um, there's a Walter uh, Walter Badgett quote, which was lend freely on good credit at cheap rates or something like that. And it was basically saying to to, to have an economy that works works functionally. For good investments, lend lend cheaply, and money, kind of somewhere along the way, lost lost its. So, so if we pull this all back to the to the hard money thing, it was like, yeah, Bitcoin's hard money, but hard money then accumulates because if hard money is accumulating value. And this is, I know, very, very contentious in, in like the, the Bitcoin ecosystem, but it's just a thought that I've been having and hasn't necessarily been answered. And No, please, absolutely, mate. Have your thoughts out loud because it, this, this is the only way that we are ever going to sort of really understand what Bitcoin can do and fix and not fix in the world is by having these critical conversations, talking about the way that we see the world under Bitcoin, under the Bitcoin umbrella. You know, and there's going to be agreements and disagreements all the time. And I think that's only part of the I think that's an important part of the conversation is people bring in their thoughts and their processes and their reflections out and putting it out there for um, discussion. So, yeah, please, mate, carry on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, it's yeah, I think 
going off your point there is like Bitcoin's final form is still unknown um, in many, many regards. Like, like there's a bug. Most people don't know this. There's, there's a problem. Satoshi wasn't the best coder in the world. There is a bug in the code, which will mean Bitcoin will have to be hard forked at some point. Uh, 21 something. Um, there are changes that are going to have to happen. And the ultimate form in which society uses Bitcoin is still up for debate. So having a completely hard money, uh, having a completely hard money in which is deflationary. So not, so I, I also think in economics, inflation is a terrible word because it can mean so many different things. You can have asset inflation, which is what we talk about quite often, like prices of stocks, bonds going up. So that's inflationary. You also have the traditional, just normal inflation, which is like the CPI, like a basket of goods. And you can also have um, productive inflation or productive deflation. You, the actual increase in the productive capacity of an economy. And having hard money uh, pool, because if money is hard and you have productive inflation, I, the amount of goods and services that that economy is producing over time increases, but the amount of money doesn't grow to match it, then that money per unit of good or service is going to be worth more over time. So what ends up happening is people start being able to hold the money as an investment as well. So why would I need to uh, you know, risk my money investing in such and such when I could just hold it forever and get three to four percent. So I'm kind of sucking money off the table, which is uh, which can cause a lot of problems, um, which, you know, it, it incentivizes saving. Right. Is that is that mm -hmm. what you're, you're saying? And through that incentive, there's going to be um, an issue with how then we um trade and and how free flowing that trade might be because of the deflationary environment that exactly yeah is that is that yeah okay yeah as, as, essentially I, I, that. I, 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 that's sorry to interrupt you mate but that that that's crossed my thought as well that's crossed my that's crossed my mind as well a few times and it's it's quite a difficult one to think about and and fathom because i i'm coming from a perspective whereby that we don't know what Bitcoin is going to look like in the future and how and what it will change um, social, socially, economically, politically. You know, it's, it's, it's going to make big changes, but what those changes are going to be, it's almost impossible to really articulate that in your mind based on the current understanding of the world as it exists today. I, I see Bitcoin in the future being something whereby it really recalibrates the way uh, we trade with each other and, and what we consider tradable. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of always coming up to, against the wall about if Bitcoin is deflationary and it incentivizes you not spending that, then are things going to look completely different uh, economically and how then will we trade with one another and how it's, it's a quite a difficult thing to comprehend um i don't know if i'm making any sense right now because i'm kind of in my little in, in my little mind palace right now of confusion around the the future of, of bitcoin 
but um, it's, it's brought up an interesting thought in my mind. I think what you're getting at is essentially that having a, <clears throat> which a lot of Bitcoiners, and I, I would argue as well, and I think we all would, that the different dynamics, the, the different features that Bitcoin holds will make global trade, global, our global economy operate very differently than the world we have now. We can even see that the world we have now isn't like we we often chunk the fiat world as like this one thing that exists outside of Bitcoin and it's this world move, this like massive move from fiat to Bitcoin one day and Bitcoin hyper normalization and all these things. But like even the fiat world is going through massive change and it is really it's an experiment in and of itself. Most people don't realize we've actually been in a depression for the last 15 years because the rate of growth we live in a very geometric world the the amount of debt that needs to the amount of new debt that needs to be created on an annualized basis to pay off the interest on the old debt is increasing exponentially so if the rate of growth just increases linearly you are actually under there is a delta difference so the rate of growth of needing services to go like this and you're just growing like this so up until 2008 we, we were growing at five six percent year on year that's now less than half since 2008 so we're really under service um and what does what does that mean it means that banks what what happened is 2008 actually scared the shit out of a lot of a lot of banks like they're not being as greedy as <clears throat> they were in the past we're we're living in a system like why is interest rate so low it's because they can't get the banks to lend the reason the central bank is was charging like negative interest rates like i know in germany and stuff it um it, it went fully negative was because they were like jesus guys please just give out money and the banks were saying no we really don't want to because of trust of custody of um counterparty risk we don't trust that people will be able to pay pay us back. We're going to preference liquidity. And there is so much that we get wrong going back to like how I started this. Like nobody wants to teach economics. And I uh, I went to uni for a year. The first year, I was like, shit, everything they're teaching me is not right. Like and and only th- and only through the years I've come to realize this. Like, why like the thing we're taught is like in- interest rates, low interest rates. That is, that's a sign of, of good times. Like when, when you think of in the 1920s, uh, 1930s, Great Depression, would you say that's an inflationary or deflationary time, the Great Depression? What would you say? Did interest rates, did, did, did interest rates go up or down in the Great Depression? My, my, my initial response would be it would have had to go up because that's what they have yeah. to do to counteract yeah. certain measurements. But the way you frame the question, I'm, I'm thinking like, was it defl- deflationary actually? <laughs> I would have gone with, they have to go up because they need to counteract, right? So the natural pricing of money says that in good times, when money is, is of massive availability, interest rates go down because supply has gone up. So the price has gone down. But then in the Great Depression, interest rates plummeted why because the environment is seeking safety and security 
people are scared, which they have been, which is why interest rates now for the last 15 years have been so low. It's because people are scared. Sorry, I just let my dog out. <laughs> um, so, so like very simple, like three years of uni, that isn't taught. That isn't taught. Like why, why can't they get bond yields off the floor? It's because there's a flight to safety and security. And now what we're seeing now with the breaking of the bond market, the repo crisis, is even they're not treating government bonds as safe and secure. And there's probably going to be a next wave into U.S. equities and and uh, and commercial stocks. But, yeah, all this to say is like markets are very dynamic, even the fiat system, which a lot of people don't truly kind of understand themselves. It That's still rapidly changing. And the way Bitcoin will eventually play into that will be very different in five years. It's not it's not a linear game here. Like it's rapidly evolving. And. Um, yeah, I think anyone with like one set notion of the way this is going to work is, is probably a bit naive. Hey, everybody, this is Questioning Bitcoin here. I just want to steal your attention for a second from the episode. It won't take long, I promise. I hope everyone's enjoying the show. We certainly are. It's an interesting conversation this evening. We just wanted to mention the fact that so far, um, obviously, this is a new podcast. We are uh, we don't have any sponsors, but you can help us. If you really like our content, please follow us, subscribe shill us on all the socials that you can get the noise out there for us um you can follow us on all the platforms particularly fountain as well uh, where you can clip uh, your favorite parts of the moments and just share the head out of it for us that'd be fantastic next to that it also helps to review our podcast whether you listen in on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, uh, spotify wherever it is if you could give us a five-star review obviously uh, we want to go for the best right uh, that'd be really helpful and um, like ian said if you're on fountain the clips really help us out it pushes the podcast as well and uh, just to remind you fountain is built on the lightning network so we also support a fantastic product built on bitcoin rails that's it for now thanks and we'll let you get back to the episode yeah because like sorry joe i know you was about to say something but um what i'm finding when i'm having conversations when i'm putting questions out there on twitter or something like that is that people have this kind of um answer in their mind um and it's a lot of the answers they have or a lot of the predictions they have about what bitcoin can bring to the world is based on an out of date broken legacy system like and and the way i approach things is like i think the world is going to look very different under a, a hyper bitcoinization a hyper a bitcoin standard whatever you want to call it I think it's going to look very different and I think it might be a combination of the many different ideologies and, and social economic structures that we have present today. There's going to be a combination or something completely different that we yet to even understand and fathom about how it can exist in the world, particularly if you're talking about building on top of Bitcoin and the layers that it, it can, you know, things that can be built on top of it. Um, things that, you know, are, are even sort of... and people people get stuck in that kind of mindset and they're, they're not quite they're not open-minded enough to really have those critical conversations uh, and i think it's important we do have those critical conversations because bitcoin i think in my mind is going to win you know it's going to be um there's going to be aha moments all over the place and when it gets to that point where a lot of people have adopted bitcoin um you know this these conversations should have already 
started you know um and we should now have these conversations because you get quite a lot of polarized views and people stuck in that view um and you know i'm I'm constantly trying to sort of search that, that that landscape a little bit and sort of like take a little bit from here and there and sort of hold it for a little bit and reflect on it and understand it a bit more is that something that that you you're open to doing this as well for you yeah yeah definitely and like even as time goes on the, the, the way i i like the way i understand it changes like um like when sailor came on the scene he was he was very much talking about bitcoin the asset and it was all about bitcoin the asset and how bitcoin is a saving technology and how it is a hedge against the inflationary pressures of the traditional world it's the fact that on a median western income you will never be able to outpace inflation um you know all all these fancy things like saying that well if you're in the basement with just eating pizza and drinking mountain dew inflation for you is like three percent but if you're want to buy early retirement and you want to buy a basket of stocks and some bonds well they're appreciating at 30 percent a year some for some of the growth stocks so it was like the hurdle rate that you need to just preserve wealth is now 14 percent how the hell are you going to do that bitcoin is the only asset that outperforms that bitcoin is the future and i was like shit yeah this is pumped like bitcoin is savings technology it's amazing and then and then like jason lowry came on the scene and was like oh bitcoin the asset is the least exciting thing what's actually amazing are these miners this proof of work this transposing of the military industrial complex onto an electron onto a transistor unit and having this whole battle that's won every 10 minutes every time a new block is mined where somebody gets to write the state and update the chain of all transactions instead of if you open a history textbook it's military oppression and warfare and the victor writes the ledger so now the ledger is written by a distributed set of miners and we can have instead of mutually assured destruction by a nuclear trident somewhere in the South Pacific that will pop up and take out Moscow before Moscow takes out us. We now have Moscow comes online and actually supports the US and US will support Moscow. And it's a whole different paradigm for how we can organize and coordinate as a human species. And that's an existential philosophical frame for Bitcoin. And I was like, shit, yeah, this is the new cool thing. Like, Bitcoin, the asset, yeah, I can make money, but a whole new command control structure. And then, like, Jack Mauler's arrives and gives this speech on stage and talks about, like, the most exciting thing is Bitcoin, the network, and the fact that the Lightning Network is this open, permissionless network that usurps Visa and MasterCard and allows anyone to access across the world. I can send money to someone in Ghana instantly at no cost and they don't need Western Union taking 40%, not because Western Union's evil, but because they have overheads because they're working in a traditional anachronistic system, which is we need physical locations holding physical cash that has exchange rate risk, that, that has balance sheet risk, that has staff, and those overheads aren't needed in the Lightning Network. Why? Because Bitcoin is the first digitally native asset, which is to say, 
everything, and I love this analogy, I was thinking about it earlier, everything goes through a three-step process. The first step is is the physical the physical uh, uh, state of things. It's the thing we use before technology. Let's take let's take the written letter. If I wanted to send my dad, he lives in England and I live in Wales, in the year 1900, I could write him a letter and it would I would send that letter. And then technology improves somewhat and it takes that existing frame and it goes, we can do this, but improve its efficiency by half making it techni- technical. So the substrate is still physical, but we can augment it with some technological adaption. So we use the fax machine. Now I'm a bit young, but from what the boomers have told me about a fax machine is that you would scan it and it would send it to somebody else's fax machine and it would print out another physical copy. So it was still physical. (laughs) It was still physical, but it was augmented with technology. And then we had the first digitally native letter, which was email. And we we went so we went from physically native to technically augmented to then technically native or technologically native. And that's the process that money's gone through. Bitcoin is the first asset, the first digital asset, which is no longer a liability of somebody else. It is is a native asset. The only time we've had native assets in history was when it's physical. That is gold, that is property. That property is my asset and is not the liability of a third party. The whole fiat system that we've had for the last century, since we came off the gold standard in the UK in 1915, since we came off the since they defaulted on the gold uh, promise in 1933 with Article uh, 1061, 1031, something, when they defaulted on the gold window in 1971 with Nixon. In that whole period, <clears throat> all all digital money was a liability of a central bank or a commercial bank. They own my money. I just had an IOU with them. Bitcoin's the first non-IOU. You don't need to IO me. I don't need to IO you. It's just mine. And piss off if you want to try take it. That's my struggle in the Bitcoin world because I see a lot of, um, throughout my day job, I see a lot of um, behind the scenes in, I wouldn't say the traditional fiat world or the finance world, but I do get a look behind fintechs and uh, modern banking as we know it. Let's call it that. Whether you go by a definition like uh, if you have an account with like Monzo in the UK or um, whether you have like Revolut internationally, whatever it is, um, they're struggling as well because they're like, bloody hell, we want to bring money into the 21st century. And I can guarantee you all of those banks, whether they be commercial, high streets, neobank, whatever, None of them like that they have IOUs on their balance sheet. None of them none of them actually like that they can't explain to their customers why they now suddenly have to raise interest rates to lower them. You briefly mentioned before the negative interest rates. Obviously, being Swiss native, uh, it fucking hurt if you got that letter, usually in uh, January, February, where it said, um, yeah, we're going down further than what we expected. Um, and none of them, and I think that's a big thing, the Bitcoin community as a whole struggles to understand none of them actually want that shit they're just forced into that system um which is where i want to cross the bridge theo just recently we heard a lot of news like coming out that uh, i think the saudis china russia and some other entities are working on like uh, gold backed stable coins for example which is sort of they're trying to fit the best of both worlds 
bringing back some form of gold coverage. Um, again, debatable. I'm a big gold enthusiast, but again, debatable. Um, and sort of combining that with digital digital payment rails, digital rails, however you want to call them. Um, do you feel like Bitcoin could in the future be an underlying asset there where, and this is where I think Bitcoin could head towards in the payment network, where you say, okay, instead of like backing something with gold, we're going to use this uh, digitally native asset in Bitcoin with all of its benefits and proof of work, all of the ED mining energy debate behind it. And instead of relying on like gold or on a central authority with like a central bank, we use that digital native thing out there in the interwebs. We build on top of that and we're trying to integrate the current system into this. I personally believe that this could be like the next 20 years in Bitcoin, that they're going to find a way to integrate it. And then on top of that, build for a new future. Or do you see a completely different, that it has to be built entirely on Bitcoin and this is like the, the record we need to set on for the next 50 years? So is that a question asking whether we will have other native assets on the Bitcoin blockchain or is that whether the Bitcoin asset will be used in reserve in the traditional system? I think it can go in both ways. I think firstly you need to, because we need to get back to some form of reserve system. I mean, you mentioned it before with like the amounts of uh, growth we have currently and the expected depth you have depth ceiling you have to raise. It's clear that at one point you have to have a reserve to back that up, or you just do the complete opposite, crash it to zero and start again. Um, but I think out of that we can build other assets on top of that. Or do you think like I'm talking shit and crazy here? It has to be a reserve, or it has to be the other way. There is no middle ground. No, no. So I, I think the. I think what Bitcoin has managed to achieve is a form of <clears throat> semi-immaculate conception. I think it would be nice to have a more decentralized um, ownership of Bitcoins. I think it is no more than the current system, but it, 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 there, there is a centralization in some hands and it, it, in some technocratic hands, which not necessarily a great thing. Um, where am I going with that? So what that's to say is that Bitcoin, what Bitcoin is enabling is it never sacrificed what was important for what was expedient at the time. It never sacrificed what we said in the beginning, which was that that ability to be censorship resistant for anything else. What it did was it holds, held strong throughout all those times when there was the, the Bitcoin block size debate and, and all of these things about improving the TPS and whatnot. And it was like, no, we're, we're optimizing. The optimization function of Bitcoin is censorship resistance, is hard money. And then what we could do after that is we can abstract layers on top of it. So we're going to build extensibility on further up layers instead of baking it in natively to the base layer. So why that is so important and is the reason why like things like the Lightning Network can derive from something with 10 minute block times with a transaction fee of like 50p natively, why from that we can get instant and free transactions. It can derive it because it can exact certain features and enable them because if anything ever goes wrong, it will collapse the abstraction instantaneously or semi-instantaneously and Dispute resolution can happen natively on the base chain. Whereas if 
any other technology like Ethereum does that, because of the complexity, you you don't you can't build. Oh, let me stay on track to actually answer your question. <laughs> um, so so the answer is yes. I think that you can build a lot. Like like I mean, look at now like Taro and what. Um, uh, I never I can never say his name. Like roast beef um, with 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 lightning is doing like enabling alternative assets on on Bitcoin with Taproot and Taro. It's like that, you know, years people were like, oh, Bitcoin's cool, but you can't do like stable coins. It's like, well, now we can. Yep, now we can. And Bitcoin's cool, but you couldn't do smart contracting. Hey, guess what? Now we can. And guess what? We have all of the other things that we also had from the beginning, i.e., censorship resistance which was the only thing that ever fucking mattered with blockchain and that's all there is to it so yes i think i think i would love to see a world where there is an ability for a like for commercial banking there is there okay so can, can i go on a little tangent for like three four minutes yeah sure sure is go that for right it. okay <laughs> so the reason shadow so okay have you heard of the term shadow banking? Yeah, yeah, I, I haven't have. personally, but so yeah, go on, please explain. So shadow banking is also kind of, um, I guess, can be used um, synonymously with uh, the euro, euro dollar market or euro banks, which euro is a bit of a misnomer. Euro just means offshore banks, and what happened in the forties, fifties, sixties was this. The, the central banks really were struggling to let me take it one step easier. Most of the dollars, the, the dollars that have been created since the 60s have been liabilities of a bank that operates offshore with no regulation, have printed money into existence and has no accountability of a central bank. Most central bank, most Bitcoiners still think that the central yeah yeah i i'm yeah it's, it's it's like the euro banking system right yeah yeah exactly. these private individuals who are doing these sort of like they're shifting money around to suit their own agenda and needs yeah I, yeah i understand it and and the the federal reserve was kind of happy that this was going on because they were expanding the monetary base rapidly which helped facilitate growth globally so at the end of the second world war there was a massive need to rebuild there was a massive capital requirement in order to fund infrastructure projects to build the world that we have now like a lot of it's europe and japan and like major economies needed massive capital financing requirements and the u.s simply because of something called triffin's dilemma where uh a, a, a triffin an economist said that because the dollar at the end of um uh, the war we came kind of came to this Bretton Woods system which was the dollar was going to be used as the reserve requirement for the world but there was an innate problem with that is because domestic monetary policy wasn't always aligned and often wasn't aligned with foreign monetary policy what was best for the world using your dollar was not necessarily best for you domestically and over time that's played out and where where America's at now is like they've lost all their gold reserves and they've hollowed out their industrial base so it really didn't serve them very well historically. So these shadow banks started popping up to help finance because there was a need for dollars. So these shadow banks popped up 
which started out, you know, as your commercial like Citibank, blah, blah, blah. And then ended up not dealing with retail clients directly, but becoming these these lenders that would make money by making money. And they would print money and they were kind of easing the Federal Reserve's requirement, easing this Triffin's dilemma and enabling kind of offshore dollars, which aren't real dollars, but they're kind of priced in dollars for convenience. But it's just like privately created money, which is not transparent is mostly held off book. A lot of these credit swaps, uh, a lot of these currency swaps are completely held off books. There's crazy accounting fictions that goes on to manipulate who has what, and it's fully trust-based between these private, massive commercial entities. And that just booms the monetary. And it worked so well that it led to like 2008, which was like the you know major financial crisis because there was so much capital in the system. Which then, when I said like in the last 15 years, why we've had such low interest rates, it's because after 2008, a lot of that stopped because a lot of these commercial entities that were just happy making money, making money. And because all money is a liability, they were stacking liabilities. So they were backing liabilities, the reserve of a liability to make more liabilities. A lot of the 2008 crash was actually the fact that there wasn't liquidity in order to service some 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 debt requirements that was acting as collateral for other debt requirements. So it was just this massive cascade down to, oh shit, a flight to bonds, which was the only safe asset. Um, so long story short is there is a demand for elastic money. There is a demand for money when it is for productive means. And, and when it works too well, it ends up in non-productive means, but there is a demand for, for uh, I mean, that was why a bank exists for, to maneuver money through a system as as effectively as possible. And I hope one day that Bitcoin as a digitally native asset can be used in a similar way that shadow bank was working, but let's shine a light on it because it's on a blockchain, it's transparent, it's visible, we can audit it, we know how much money is created. The Federal Reserve has no idea how many dollars are in the system. Ben, uh, Greenspan's speech was saying this for years. Greenspan was like the rational exuberance of the stock market was completely misunderstood. It, like what he was saying was like, we don't know if this stock boom is overzealous because we don't know how much money there is. We don't know the behavior. You can look at um, central bankers going back like Greenspan, Bernanke. They all say like, look at their meeting notes. They're all saying, we don't know. We don't know how money's created. We don't do money. What we do is public sentiment. We we come out with our FOMC like meeting notes and say we're hawkish or whatever on our interest rates. And that is good enough to change sentiment. The economy is completely um, compression, like just compressing reflexivity. And it's just not like completely reactive to whatever the, the federal uh, state does because it's so invisible to investors. So don't fight the Fed. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think Bitcoin can very, very nicely fit into that system. And wouldn't it be great to have Bitcoin as like the reserve and then have like maybe commercial bank liabilities on top of that. Um, but if there's ever any dispute, it collapses back down to Bitcoin instantly. And, you know, it brings back accountability to an already system. I mean, that's that's the argument I'm making also with a lot of uh, Bitcoin friends in the US, because 
surprisingly enough, the fintech infrastructure in the US is actually massive compared to what we have in the UK or just in Europe in general. I mean, if you put UK, Europe together, you're sort of on the same height as the US, but the US obviously has more access to liquidity. Um, and I'm always telling them, I'm like, guys, they get Bitcoin. So these are these are not traditional bank uh, bankers or, or, or people working in like asset management groups or whatever, but they are nerds essentially programming open, transparent infrastructure to then be used in this old world. Because the issue, and this is again something not a lot of Bitcoiners know with modern banking as we have it today, is so many different systems are speaking to each other. You have to imagine, you have the system in the UK here with like sort codes, account numbers, then you have like Swift network, then you have some uh, banking as service providers in the background, and they all have to talk to each other, where that's where I'm going with you, Theo, as well. I'm on the same basis. Like if we have Bitcoin as a base layer there with a, from a technological standpoint, relative simple tech stack, like you could build Bitcoin in whatever programming language you want with some minor discretions there. But if someone wants to build it in one language, the other one wants to build it in that language, they can build on it and they can integrate it together and sort of build on top of that. Um, but we still need a system that works in modern everyday life. And if I, um, I have a funny story, actually, there is a, a cheese restaurant where I live here in London. They only serve like fondue and all of these stuff. And as a Swiss, I like it. I like fondue and raclette and all of those stuff. And there's a German guy, a waiter working there. And through talking to him, visiting a couple of times, he knew that I talk about Bitcoin a lot and He's sort of downplaying it. He's always asking me when I come in, is it at zero yet, you know? Um, and he doesn't understand how, how modern uh, monetary theories and stuff work. And I told him yesterday, I was like, mate, listen, last time we spoke, Bitcoin was at like 16K. Now it's at like 21, whatever it was. Um, just looking at price levels, it increased, while at the same time, I can bet you other products decrease. Um, but this is not my main issue. It's like, imagine in the future, we have a system where if you want to spend pounds on the Lightning Network on, or whatever Bitcoin network you want to choose, you'll be able to, or even better, you'll be able to like pick up your phone, open Apple Pay, hold it against a card reader, which might be like a square card reader, a PayPal's card reader, whatever the fuck it is. And it goes through instantly with no fees for the merchant and sellers as well, all because you're using a different tech stack than what we currently use. And I feel... A lot of us Bitcoiners, we have to have that reality check of like, hey, it would be great if we could like open Moon or Wallet of Satoshi and like scan the QR code or tap our card. But at the end of the day, we still live in a system where normal everyday people uh, have to spend their money and they work hard for their money. They want to spend it or they might want to save it. That's where Bitcoin is ideally a very cool technology. But at the same time as well, we have to build products on top of that and educate people to as simple as possible, that they can take out their phone, their cards, their Apple Watch, whatever, and pay it without thinking that they use the network. And I feel like if we do it right, if we do also the education part about the energy uh, resources and such, right, with Bitcoin, we can get there. But it will be, like you said, I think a compromise that it's not purely decentralized in the matter which it can possibly be. And at the same time, then, it's still flexible enough that everyone can use it because that's a sacrifice you do. Either it's fully secure and decentralized, slow, I bet hard for normal people to get into, or you have the middle ground where you integrate it into systems where it works 
and people can use it every day. And imagine how cool that is. Like I can walk down to the coffee shop, pay you, even if I want to pay with my bank account or my native Bitcoin account, um, and it just goes through and I don't have to dispute and explain how Lightning works and why Bitcoin is superior. It just goes through and we have a layer, a layer built on top of it, like you said, where if it collapses, it goes back down into something safe and not into the abyss of nothingness, essentially. I think for the first time, the, the, the network we use has never been an option to us. You don't walk into Starbucks and they go, they go Visa or MasterCard or another network of your choice. You just tap it's the like card. You're using, yeah, you're, you're using our network and, and you're using pounds. So, yes, being able to have a open network, certainly. Yeah. And like... I think just kind of riffing on that, I think education around these things are, it's, it's probably, I don't know whether like a merchant saving a couple of percent on transaction fees is the driving force of adoption here. Um, I think on a more profound level, there is an, there is a there is a deeper change where for the first time my generation is predicted to be worse off than their parents there 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 is a change where we've gone from one earner households now no longer being able to afford uh, to raise a family and now it's gone to two earner households and then, and now it's even more it's like two two earner households aren't even enough to pay you know for a family of two a uh, uh, family of two kids because of the cost of living um we, we have gone from a point where a house was three and a half times annual wages to 22 times annual wages there is a hollowing out of the financial heart of our society and money is a form of language it's a form of expression when i make a purchase i am expressing my values to society and when you manipulate the money, you're manipulating the language. So I can no longer communicate authentically, virtuously and morally. I, I, I am being warped in my decision making in how I interact with the economy. Um, having open networks domestically is great to be able to opt into Visa so that now other companies other than Visa can jump in and use the network and not Visa's closed network and optimize that. I think that's one piece of the puzzle. I think adoption, I think custody is one of the hardest things that we've got to wrap our heads around. I think like 80% of Bitcoins are still held on exchanges, something ridiculously high. Um, it's, it's ridiculously high. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, custody, ad adoption in places like the glo global South. You can't tell, you, you, you can't tell somebody that's living on the margin to put their money in bitcoin you you can't because if bitcoin goes down they can't afford to eat that week and if you take that a step further for you the, the the current people who are unbanked you know you, you talk about uh, if we're, we're thinking kind of locally here but if you think about in countries where there's severe poverty and you know there's day-to-day -day survival shout out to companies like like feddy um run by ob i'm sure you probably heard of him um who are pioneering that kind of vision of having these community-centered uh um custodians of it's kind of like it's 
I can't remember the exact term they use. It's like semi semi custody or like almost perfect privacy, um, where they're trying to integrate some form of like dollar denominated stable asset onto the Bitcoin blockchain using kind of community custody for those that aren't as technically minded. Like there is progress and I God hope that progress wins. Like we haven't won. Like the battle isn't won. Every day it's alive. It's it's proving itself, but I don't think every day it's alive. It's it's winning. I think that like Moore's law only works because a shitload of people put a shitload of work into making Moore's law still happen. Bitcoin adoption's the same. Just by Bitcoin being here, it's not going to win. It takes a hell of a lot of us, and the Adam backs are going to pitch the ship and steer the direction. But it takes all of us, like you guys, who are having podcasts, who are opening a conversation, who are all of the bodies of this network, who without, like, it's in my opinion, without us, I don't know how the future is. And I don't look forward to it for my kids unless something which is open and democratic and isn't manipulated and is owned by everyone that's controlled structure is run by a proof of preservation it's 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 technology at its finest because all it cares about is truth and innovation will commoditize truth at the end of the day truth will always come out so i hope bitcoin wins i really fucking do um for my kids sake you know one important question is um how how do you feel having smaller calves than than your brother oh yeah we missed the most important question yeah look Okay. <laughs> Sorry, he set you up there, Theo. So you need, you need, you need, you need, you need, you need, you need to explain. You need to explain. What, what? <laughs> I, I, I cannot believe you guys brought this up. My calves are a sensitive point. I'm so upset right now. No, the only reason his calves are bigger than mine is because he's shorter than me. So there's less leg. So it's just squished down a little bit. Oh, okay. That's all it is. <laughs> Angela recently got into powerlifting and uh, calves are are notoriously a genetic given size so even though i am stronger than him on everything else he, he can still take the piss out of my calf so we'll let him have it we'll let him have it he's uh you're you're the older brother right yeah yeah four and a half years. okay yeah yeah you always gotta get a w you always give a w to to your younger siblings speaking as an older brother Got as well it. they kind of have they kind of feel good right <laughs> how, does, how does it stand um with people like me who are, uh, you know i've got a twin so and he, he constantly reminds me that oh he's, he's seven minutes older than me wait what is it an identical twin no fortunately for me he's not identical. <laughs> okay <laughs> mate theo theo it's been mate it's been fascinating listening to you um you've you've given me a lot to think about and reflect on and I'm looking personally forward to listening back to this because there's a lot of information that's come out um, from this episode. Uh, and thank you for being so open and, and um, honest with with your mindset and where you're coming from and, and your angle into into Bitcoin. It's been fascinating going down this, this rabbit hole with you. But before we wrap this up, is there anything that you... Um, would like to talk about um was there anything that you want to discuss before before we wrap this up i don't think so i think we we did a good job i uh 
I wish I could explain things a hundred times more eloquently and and simpler and sometimes when you're when you're in the when you've been down the rabbit hole for so long you 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 forget where you started so it can be uh, I I I, I don't just know. Look at the, the heading it, of our yeah. thing. We're all mad here. So once you're down this rabbit yeah. hole, it's, it's 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 a deep rabbit hole. Um, so no, thank you for for like you know um, showing us the route that you've taken. Um, and I'm hoping the people that listen have have been able to follow us down your rabbit hole. Um, it's been it's been fascinating. So thank you once again. Joel, was there anything you wanted to ask? No, I mean, just generally speaking, where can people find you, Theo? Because I'm sure if they've got a question, they should reach out to you directly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so on Twitter, I'm at Bitcoin Theo. And uh, on YouTube, I'm starting to put out a lot more kind of educational content that I'm hoping will be some of the best um, well-produced Bitcoin-focused, but also just general economic-focused content. And um, I'm teaching a, um, I teaching like a like a course kind of thing um, on blockchainmentoring.com. It's not out yet, but you can drop your email there. Which I teach how to uh, build Lightning applications, uh, Lightning powered apps, where uh, yeah, you can you can actually start building with these technologies, which was was a big part of me like after I got involved for a few years it was like I actually want to you know have a different form of of embodied knowledge here rather than just these propositionals that I hold in my head around like reading so much I was like let's let's tinker and um so yeah I kind of condensed some of that so I found there was like no real good resources I think a lot of bitcoiners especially the ones that code are like so heady that they just aren't very good at explaining what things are but angelo has a great quote which was um nothing's complicated some things are just harder to explain so i'm hoping to explain the technicals a bit easier because it's not that hard yeah once you get it going uh once you're in (laughs) again the rabbit hole of development the technicality uh it's actually quite easy but um yeah thanks from my end as well theo uh that was a really lovely discussion and i'm sure you'll be back uh, in a future episode because we don't want to constrain it to just one episode per person and i'm looking forward to talking to you soon again yeah i absolutely loved it thank you guys for having me always happy to come on again it was uh i enjoyed going down the rabbit hole with you although does that make us all alice or am i just alice in this scenario i don't know how, how that works out <laughs> are you guys the rabbit and i'm alice i'm happy i'm happy to be alice any i'm, I'm happy to be anyone you want me to be mate <laughs> yeah i mean yeah <laughs> we can all be alice we can all be alice deal sounds good all right see you later guys appreciate you